Woo! Neurodiversity time with Amanda and Theo. Welcome for our second episode. Good one. We're here again. We are. We are. And it is the, what would you call it? The, the, it's not, it, it's the, it's the ultimate, rather than penultimate, it's the ultimate yeah. day of neurodiversity celebration week, I guess. It is. We're nearly oh, there. I'm heating my hand. I'm, I've done it again. I'm heating myself from my phone. It was a bit <laughs> creepy. Delay. So sorry. I, it's the, it's the, it's the last day of neurodiversity celebration week today. It is. It's been a great week, I have to say, with huge amounts of energy, huge amounts of interest, people joining in from across the globe. That's what's been utterly amazing, that the engagement that's happened during this week. Yeah, and that's it. So uh, if today we wanted to, uh, we're going to get more into a routine as the weeks go on. And we're going to look at very specific topics that we're going to welcome people to get involved in. We're interacting with the audience, although there's a slight delay, so your question may get responded to a little after, but this is the whole point of these sessions is for us to interact. But we wanted to get the first two sessions, one at the beginning of Neurodiversity Celebration Week and one at the end, almost like as a review and just to kind of ponder and consider around what has grown significantly and ultimately was a, was a, a celebration week built for um, schools, right? It was built for to educate schools and, and that environment from young people. So really, I think people are possibly having this view of it now being this big global event. But in reality, that it, it's evolving as we go, right? It, it is. It's, not, it's, it's not a global event yet because only yesterday, last year, it was a typically a school event and still not one that enough schools were taking part in. No. I think that's absolutely right. And actually, if there's anything, we need to get out to every school in the UK to start with, you know, and every school should be having umbrellas and events and discussions and sharing information and raising awareness of what we've got in common and also why sometimes we have differences, you know. So we still can go further. And you're right there that it did start really trying to have assemblies and resources in school. And it's grown sort of arms and legs during this, particularly this year, really has the different events and last year to some extent. So we've got a way to go to make sure that every school, every child understands the differences and the strengths and talents that those kids bring, you know, and we can see that because the number of people coming on some of the events has been huge numbers. And some of those have been parents trying to get help and support, teachers trying to help and support, you know, so needing that uh, engagement and needing that guidance. So that's exactly it, Amanda. So what one thing that I was really passionate about transforming is the education system. Ah! We've been trying to do that for a long time, but, but, you know, as, as, Parents and grandparents, we, we understand, right, the, the challenges. And therefore, it is still vitally important that we are influencing in that space. Absolutely. However, we, what we can do as a, as a group of people getting together is also influence business where we can see almost a more possible immediate effect, right? Because the education system is difficult. The pressures it's under lack of funding. The pressures teachers, I feel for them, right? It's hard. You're trying. You're trying to advocate for your child, 
But really, you know that teaching is probably under-resourced, overworked. Really difficult, really difficult. You know, you've got 30 kids in the classroom. They might have different demands, different needs, uh, going at different paces. You know, this is this is hard. If you are a manager of 30 different people, people are, it's quite difficult to manage 30 different people. Well, little people are just the same. They've got different needs, wants, things that work well with them, different ways of communicating. They're just little persons, you know, at an earlier stage in the employment cycle almost. So you're right. It's really hard for teachers to do differentiation sometimes. It really is. Absolutely. And and so that's why these conversations that have happened last week have been really important. But thousands, you did one on parents in the evening. Mm. I did one for parents and carers, like the same format for um, them in the morning, the next day. Yeah. So between you and I, we, we covered off both sides of the day. And thousands yeah. of people turned up. I know that's what was I found that incredible heartwarming but also heart-rendering you know because what I could see and the chat was just going absolutely crazy with questions and asking and what do I do where do I get support where you know how do I get help and parents and I and I felt we could have been on literally all day and I would have liked to have spent more time and what it reminded me because I've been around a long time that when I started very practically 30 years ago a lot of the things that parents wanted are the same today really practical tools that things that make a difference and my child can't sleep my child's anxious going to school my child finding it difficult doing their homework how do I encourage them they're lonely they haven't got any friends what do I do they're moving to secondary school how do I prepare them a lot of those things that were coming through were exactly the same challenges 20 30 years ago and I think that just tells us that again in education and linking up with the parents that the more we can share that very practical information, it can make a huge difference. And that's why on my panel, I had a couple of people who were working amazingly, like Kerry Reid from Parents Voices in Wales was talking and Vicky Lamb, where they run groups and they were brilliant because, you know, they make such a fundamental difference to parents' lives. You know, I don't know where to go. I feel like I'm on my own. And this did feel like a community sharing chat was going, but I found this useful, this is useful, you know, and that was brilliant and just shows what we can do if we create ecosystems to support each other. Yeah, what I found really powerful was because of the different people we had on the panel and they were at different stages. Some had children in their 20s. Some have children who are like nine and seven. And and some have uh, children uh, who um, uh, adopted um, uh, and therefore um, they have challenges that are even outside of the your yeah. own. So at least I can go, oh, my daughter is a bit like me, right? Yeah. And therefore I can go, well, in this moment where she's having this meltdown, if I was in a similar situation, what's happening to me mm. so that I can understand what's happening to her, right? And that is really powerful. It, so, for someone who's not got that, that, that must be even more challenging. Really hard. I think, and we had that sort of, you know, what do I do? My my child's having a meltdown. How do I prevent that happening? And actually, as you say, if if that child's a bit like you, you've got insight. But if they're not quite like you and you've never experienced that, that can be really difficult to understand why is it every, and I use that phrase often, if somebody's saying to you, every time we do this, this happens, stop. 
because every time means there's something around that's happening around that time that's causing this to happen. So listen to your language. If you're hearing every time we go to out for a meal, we always end up with da 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 da. Well, maybe it's, they don't know where they're going. They don't know the food's happening. It might be the journey. So break down what's happening before that. That can really help you to prevent those every time those things happen. I think one of the other conversations we had was very much about. And it was a lovely human conversation, which is like, be realistic. Sometimes we have social expectations that are presented to us, like everybody's got to sit at the table till the end of the meal. No, you don't have to. You know, my I learned that early on. Do not make your kids sit through an hour and a half of a conversation which you're enjoying, but they're not. You know, let them leave and then let them come back, and then you can enjoy a bit of a conversation without conflict. And your kids are not waiting till they've melted down and then it becomes fractious and, and you have to repair it. And it's all, it all takes hours to do that. Try and think about those being being kind in that sort of sense to you, but also to your kids as well. Don't put them in a situation where it's going to be terrible. You wouldn't put yourself in that situation again and again and again, you know. Absolutely so that was an interesting conversation I think we had, you know, in our, in our session. And by the way, um, hello, Catherine, hello, Emily, um, Annie, Martin, um, Pam, Charlie, hello all, thanks for joining us. Um, and Martin um, said, to, right, there's a couple of things here. So Martin said, listen to the trigger and learn from them, which is exactly what you say. You can see and see that's harming, that's harming someone. Something's going on here. So rather than listen to the person who says, oh, you're not a good parent, you should be able to keep them at the table. I know. Yeah, exactly. And it feels really bad. And that was the other conversation we had, which was like standing at the gate. People are highly critical of you. You know, it's even when your kids, when they're younger and your child is not running around. I remember somebody saying, my child's playing football and they're kicking a ball. And I'm thinking, and this child is like two. And my child certainly wasn't kicking a football at all. And that, that bit of you're comparing yourself and then you think I am a bad parent. Right. And actually that that feeling of criticism by others, whether it's other family members or it's it, it yourself is really difficult. So Emily, right. Oh, that's nice. How did you do that then? I, I did that by accident. Ah, but that's lovely. That so great. basically, this is just blown the doors off because this is this is something that happens all the time. It's the yeah. thing about language. Oh, I'm so glad I could do this. The thing about language, uh, Emily is absolutely right. Um, it, it is explosive and just want to make a comment around um, this, that basically one of the challenges that we've got is that some people, um, they, they the, the way that they see the world, um, I guess, is rules-based, right? It's very specific. And if you try and break the rule in their mind, that can be quite disorientating for them. And I'm trying to be mindful of that. So the response you may get from somebody, if you try to break the rule, that they believe to be factual or true or how it how the world should go you try and break that rule for them that that it can it can create a very um immediate powerful response and sometimes that response can feel very direct but this is the same thing that we teach in organizations around trying to understand where the other person's coming from yeah. um and i think definitely around the the terminology of uh, neurodiverse neurodivergent Neuro spicy, whatever neuro minority, what whatever you choose, there's there's obviously a, a group of people. Let me just hide that. There's obviously a group of people 
that feel very comfortable about the fluidity of language and the flexibility yeah. and that yeah. I'm one of them, right? I'm so laid yeah. back about it that and I me. talk about it, but 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 then inadvertently by talking about how relaxed I am, I think people can feel like I'm 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 not listening to their view of you know the rules around the English language and what have you. So you know, I'll say the word gay, for example, used to mean happy. However, it's very rarely used in that context in the modern world today because the English language has more words by about mm -hmm. 10 times than any other language. It is very fluid and it has rules, but those rules are broken often. So I, I'm always trying to be mindful of that fact. And remember, neurodiversity is only 30 years old. So if you think about the context of language and words and how they've evolved, look at Shakespearean texts and go, I mean, language is just not the same as it once was. So if we yeah. think about a 30-year period, a word that's only been in existence for 30 years, in reality, that is like a drop in the ocean. It's amazing, but it's a very new word, and therefore it will, I, I well, I, we can see it, it creates a, a lot of emotion, a lot of, uh, that, that people get involved in. And I'm always trying to be mindful of that fact. However, it does then create, sometimes more aggressive conversations that can be a bit challenging and I think are not helping and, uh, and help progress forwards. Um, well, what do you think, Amanda? No, I think I'm, I agree with you entirely, is that I think that language changes. We had specific learning difficulties, special educational needs. We have terms like, and I've, I, my, one of my newsletters I posted this week was about language, right? Because it's, it's, it's an issue that creates a lot of emotion in all of us. Have we got it right? Have we got it wrong? Your definition isn't right. Well, you know, it's a, and when people talk about person first and identity first language, language is personal. And I think we have to just be respectful of the way people are framing it and not be dogmatic about it. And that if people are using it and it helps to start a conversation, then that's the conversation we should have. And you go back, you know, the term handicap, um, you know, was used mental handicap. We think about spaz, spastic, the term spastic, you know, when we use cerebral palsy today. I mean, you cringe if they and just hear it. And then people you talked about spaz. It was used in a very negative, pejorative way, you know. So we, we're trying, I think what we're trying to do when we're using the language around neurodiversity is trying to go, let's have a conversation together. People love, human beings love a category. We love to go, you're short, you're tall, you're Welsh, you're English, whatever you are, right? We love it. We like to go, are you in or are you out? What are you? And we like to define Make it all that. about. Yeah, exactly. And, and that's the bit which we're being exclusive. So this conversation makes people feel uncomfortable because conditions aren't in neat boxes. They all overlap. And people go, well, I'm on the autism spectrum or I'm autistic, whichever framing you prefer. And then you go, well, yeah, but that's not quite who you are in entirety because you're lots of other things. People want to be defined by a tribe or a group that they can align to, talk to, have commonality with. But the reality is two people will have very different experiences, but they may have some similar experience as well. So you know, my my post next week is a bit more about this, actually, about using the term divergence and what that actually means. Because sometimes we'll go, oh, don't like neurodivergence because it's all negative. Wait till my post, because I've really been thinking about this a lot and thinking about what the positive framing of neurodivergence is as well. It isn't all bad stuff. But I think we've just got to be 
respectful and listen to each other, you know, and you can have neurotypes and neuro-minorities and neurodifference. And somebody said in my one, neuro spicy, which I thought was lovely. Um, you know, it, it, what we're saying is we're all different and we have different experiences and different contexts. And I, it's more about being respectful and not getting too angry about it. And there is a lot of, oh, you've got it wrong. And step away from the conversation, I think, is the other thing. If you think it's getting too much, then it is, you know, and, and you the thing is, like, I often think as I speak. It's not I don't think before I speak. I think as I speak, right? <laughs> which is important to, to categorize that, because I think saying I don't think before I speak is almost saying that I don't think. I do think, but I'm, I'm literally, it's, I'm processing it as I'm saying it. Um, and we all do that to a greater or lesser extent, right? I just do it to a much greater extent. But I've learned over time to, like, stop. But if I'm in the flow of it, I can't stop. So I think that's sometimes where we all, especially those people who like they're thinking as they're talking, that can quite quickly find you walking down an, a, a route of getting into an argument where that might otherwise just be a, a nice conversation. The other thing is social media is not designed in a way to have really good, productive, in-depth conversations, yeah. right? Yeah. Over, I, I don't know, a glass of wine or a cup of coffee or a tea or whatever it is that like that. The, that's the whole point of doing this as well so that we can we can take some of the stuff online and we can discuss it and debate it because often what i also find is we agree we are we agree like i've got a person yeah, there fine. and we're, we're yeah well, we, we agree have, but we're yeah. just getting stuck in a in something quite and at no, this point where i just want to step back and go you know what we agree what what we arguing over this little thing here for it's like almost arguing over a line in the sand, no, I, I want it to be slightly more that way, and I want it to be slight. And we've done this as humans since the beginning of time. But I think we need to find a way to step back. I think the other bit is, I think, Richie, so I was thinking about it last night, was the, was that what what you hear and what what you see and understand might be different. So when you read it on the page, you're coming with a, a sense of seeing it in a certain sort of way and that's what sometimes with social media that you read the words and you interpret them in a certain sort of way because you're in that frame of mind so you coming almost like no they're going to be wrong so we come with sort of preset ideas of that framing I think just one of the things with words and terms as well so was that you know it's a privilege to sometimes get a diagnosis you know in some ways you know because it's not an opportunity or an option for some people to have and some of the terms and words we use like social emotional behavioral difficulties social emotional mental health difficulties sometimes have a social bias which so some words get you more get you more in society get you more in education so we know that some labels are very sensitive to have so a child getting a diagnosis of autism might get you an educational healthcare plan a child that gets a diagnosis of developmental language disorder may not you know um, and and or many, dyslexia for example dyslexia these days exactly so dyslexia go well we don't need to that's not that's not very severe so you know so and that, that the bit that you were saying there with language changes over time people's understanding of what's in vogue what's not you know adhd is having a, a better time right than than it did because it used to be incredibly negative framing people are talking about it a bit more a bit more aware but it changes and that's the whole thing about this this is a sort of 
it's it, it will language constantly change. You think about how we used to sit at the table with a knife and fork and a napkin, and we hold told off to hold your knife and fork in a certain sort of way. Culturally, we change the way we do things, and linguistically, that happens as well. What's acceptable and what's not, it really is, you know. Absolutely. Um, just I've, I interviewed Tom Nicholson, so I'm just recognising some people here while while we got a bit of time. Um, uh, so we every week we want to recognise some people, right? So you can shout out people in the chat. People who are maybe not being seen, doing some great work. Tom Nicholson, I want to shout out because he's just completed his PhD. I interviewed him for my podcast. That'll come out in a few weeks' time. But one of the things that he said in the podcast via his research um, is that he, uh, I can't remember whether it was, um, I think it may have been mental health nurses or yes. um, but how, many, how many people um, they feel, or it might have been educational psychologists, right? I, I, so I'm not... Pin this on me, but you can eat it in the podcast. But the, the fascinating thing is people in the healthcare system who you would hope understand it better, he asked a question around ADHD uh, prevalence and who's likely to like be able to tick the box to get assessed for ADHD. And they were coming out with like 40, 50, 60% of people could theoretically tick the box for ADHD. And he was saying that the issue with that because uh, then I was talking about TikTok, and I'll tell you about the stats in a moment. But the issue with that is because this is where the danger around the conversation becoming a buzz topic, right? Mm. ADHD becoming such a mm. trendy topic, mm. is that then the perception in the health system and maybe in education is we're seeing it everywhere. everywhere. If we have limited understanding of it because we see it everywhere and because we see people on TikTok and everyone else talking about, are all my mates at ADHD, right? And in actual fact, they may be because... You may have you may have gravitated. Yes. Because yes. I find that, you know, we get energy to get I get energy off other ADHDers because it, it just builds when you have these conversations. It's like you can oh, do this sort of conversation. Yeah. So um so it, that may be a reason. And then they all post about that, and that's what we see. So there is a danger here that there's then a a a, a, a lack of respect for people who face challenges around ADHD yeah. because in the school teachers and I eat it almost like oh they they wouldn't get an ADHD assessment now you know but, but that's not the interventions can help right Huge. the, the whole point of interventions is they help and support it doesn't mean all of a sudden they don't have ADHD anymore and you raised a good point about medication maybe helping with the development of certain areas of the brain like it doesn't mean that that stops other needs it just means it's helped get somebody from here to here but they may still face other challenges in life. I, I just find that fascinating. Let me just do a quick TikTok before we get into yeah, that. TikTok. 22 billion views of the hashtag ADHD on TikTok. Wow. Right? And 12 months ago, it was 12 billion. Wow. Uh, I think I said 16. But anyway, it was 12. I, I looked at stats up again. 12 billion, 22 billion. Autism, 21 billion. Dyslexia, about 1.3 billion. 1 wow. Is that interesting? Yeah. So it's on TikTok... Like autism and ADHD are going boom. But again, what impact is that having short form video? Reality. In the reality, I think that's really important that, you know, there's a difference between I'm a little bit disorganized. And that's, you know, and I think um, Dominic Lawson in The Times had a, an article a couple of weeks ago saying, oh, it's everywhere now. You know, it was an inaccurate article as well about, you know, and I think and that's that you. We can get these terms and words we're using can get bleached if we're not careful. 
And there's a big difference between I'm a little bit organized and I, and I interrupt some of the time. Does the impairment that some people have in day to day life in engaging class, in education, in schools, retaining it in, in the workplace as well, you know, and the misperceptions of somebody who's says they're going to do something that then doesn't do it. In, you know, so I think it's really important we start to go frame the reality of that. And that goes back to some of the stuff around it is it I love my neurodivergent traits. I love my children's neurodivergent traits and I embrace them completely. But at the same time, kids and adults are having challenges. That's the reality. That's the reality. And we can't. And the other bit is that you may be your child might be doing really well in school today because you're supporting them. You've got scaffolding all around, doing everything at home. You're really supporting them. And they're in primary school. Boof, they go to secondary school. They've got to get the bus. They've got to, they've got t- 10 teachers, not one teacher. They've got to put their backpack with their stuff in. They've got homework when they come home. The executive functioning demands have gone up sky high. And suddenly this kid who was well supported in their primary school because they had a lovely teacher who knew them is now floundering. And so, puberty. And, and ugh, we won't even talk about that. That's another layer as well. you know. And you're trying to make new friends. And the demands have gone up. So the sort of premise is you're doing okay isn't good enough because that's like saying to somebody with a who's visually impaired with a, a stick, you know your way around, so we'll take the stick away because you know where you're going now, right? I mean, that's sorry, that maybe that's not a great metaphor, but the point is life changes, demands go up, and we would never think about uh, a diabetic not having lifelong support because things change in their lives, you know, uh, and having transitioned to adult support services. We wouldn't do that. And I think we just dismiss that if somebody's coping on the surface doesn't mean they're not waggling underneath like a madly to keep going. And I, that was one of the things that came out in one of the webinars, uh, one of the discussions was really about girls, girls who on the surface in school, teachers go, they're doing fine. I don't know what you're talking about. But parents seeing their child really struggling, anxious, depressed, eating disorders. And I get, uh, you know, every day sent to me, really challenging stories come through on LinkedIn and email, you know. So we've got to be careful of what it looks like. One, not everybody's got ADHD. It's three to 5% of the population. And we're talking now more, so you're hearing it, but it doesn't represent the number of people who are not diagnosed and supported. And we are under-diagnosing. We are not over-diagnosing. I think that's what's important to say, you know. And we've got 30% of kids, 30% of people in prison more who have ADHD. And that's not because they are, it's because it's because they have not had the opportunity to be supported as well. Oh, and also impulsivity. I'm I'm telling you, like I'm it, yeah, it it is lucky there is a not not a lot more of us in prison or have had that experience based on some of the decisions that we end up making. In the moment. Uh, in the moment and, and that and that started in school to be honest because you just see you see every feels like everything's against you therefore you go there i say um i i for a long time i used to if i was on the edge of the cliff i'd jump i'd just jump because i know and i get to trouble anyway i'd just jump I did that. So I was in medical school and I was at a party and I hadn't had anything to drink. Everybody said that I must have had something to drink. I hadn't. I'm saying it now. And I jumped from the top of a staircase to the bottom. Oh, literally jumped. Literally, literally jumped, right? In that moment, why? I was high on life. I really was and ended up in hospital. And I could have broken my back. 
So sometimes those impulsive acts, you just don't know where they come from. But the, the re repercussions for life can be huge for some people, it really can, you know. Um, just another message here from Laura, you know, diagnosis is one thing, but then another waiting list for medical or sportive intervention anyway. So that's diagnosis, you know, is three, four, five years, whatever, depending yeah. where you are, unless you go private, which is a you know, barrier too high for a lot of people. Lots but of then people. actually what I find is you, you wait four or five years. You, like with my daughter, you wait the four years, you get the diagnosis. And really? That was it. We like then we were like, we now need are, to go get the are. HCP. You are, you can now put it there. That's right. You've yeah. got it. You've got the diagnosis now. You're actually well, you've got the same challenges. You've just been given a ticket, which doesn't always give you the support and intervention and the guidance that you need. And also it's it's so it's autism, it's ADHD, it's dyslexia. We probably think dyscalculia, um, maybe dyspraxia, right? So we've got all these things. And then we're being seen by somebody talking about a drug for ADHD. We're like, oh, but well, how, how does that interact with everything else? And, mm -hmm. and actually, the ADHD seems to be less prevalent based on the 15 minutes we got with a ed psychologist before we got kicked out of the room. It's like, oh. And this is why 30 years ago, when my son was, you know, we started set up on the journey, was that was exactly that. We went from one place to a sonologist telling his story again and again and again and again. And that's why I set up the Discovery Centre. I set up a centre because people were going all over the place. And we need more interdisciplinary places where people can actually be supported. Parents can tell one story about their child and their family, and they don't have to go to 27 different places again and again. What a waste. What a waste of time, energy, money, resource. And it, it and you get a one intervention for you and no one other you know one for the OT one from the speech and language therapist one it's one person one family you know so it's sad that that but on a positive note that's where neurodiversity the framing allows us to start to think about bringing this together exactly so listen we're gonna we're gonna start to wrap this week's uh, event up what we want to do is we want to start to deal with uh, particular topics of interest. So we've set up a group, uh, Neurodiversity, it's the same name as the event, very creative. <laughs> um, if you want to come and join that group, anybody who's on here or anybody watch after, if you want to come and join that group, that group is meant so that after this, if there are particular topics, we've not we've not covered them, um, you want to discuss them, You because you, there's lots of stuff going on in the chat. So obviously you can get interacting with each other. We yeah. want to try and answer some of those questions. We can do better try and answer them uh, as the weeks go on. Maybe we focus more on just question and answer. You know, maybe that's the direction we go. Um, but but we want to, the value needs to be for you, right? And for us, because we love having these conversations and it, it enhances our knowledge and experience as well. So if you can come and join that group, make suggestions, make them in the comments here. This will be still available on LinkedIn Live. So we'll be able to access this afterwards. We'll start to pull all the ideas, the thoughts, the what you want to talk about, what you're struggling with, and then we can start to put them into maybe a weekly themes, kind of themes. themes. Like drugs, we, we we can deal with that conversation, yeah. right? Because it's, it's complex. I, I'm, I'm finding it really difficult as a dad to get all the information and research without becoming an academic researcher overnight myself. So it's like these types of topics that we can deal with in employment, out of employment, in education, as a parent, as a carer. We'll deal with it and we'll take on the tough conversations. Sorry, Amanda. No, no. <laughs> no I think we're happy to. I think we want to have this as a 
be guided by you what you want to have the questions and answers and the debates and the themes and we will bring everybody together and have those conversations and we can bring in other people as well that's the other thing we've got i've got lots of contacts in health and all sort of all over the place we can let people come in and talk and give you that feedback as well so just let us know what you want and remember neurodiversity celebration week shout out to aiden healy um, yeah. Yeah, you commented earlier but like a lot of work and effort has gone into this so Huge. you know and and it, it I'm, I'm telling you it is not easy there's another one coming up um by the un there's a lot yeah. of effort that charlotte Valo, we, we shouted out last week about that but like this is why i'm shouting them out again because no lexic had done a lot they organized a lot of the events all the events are freely available thousands and thousands of people they've got a website with resources this doesn't happen easily so i think we just do need to give a shout out to them absolutely so so big up uh the, the team at lexic and aiden for all the tireless work and effort and, and a brilliant br coming together of people um we want to continue to diversify the voices yeah. um, but actually yeah. the, the, the people involved um are, are incredible advocates it doesn't mean there's not more right but we need to start to bring people out, but it's yeah. around the celebration, it's around the positive focus of getting these conversations going, which is really important. Because when we open up to thirty odd thousand or forty or fifty thousand people signed up for this, you, you've got to have a level of responsibility for that volume of people who may be uh, coming to the topic afresh and new. Yeah. Uh, and, and I think ensuring that we have the positive mindset and framing. Um, at this stage, at early stage, we want to bring people in rather than push them apart out. So I think they've done that really well. Give information and share. So have a great weekend and uh, and celebrate neurodiversity wherever you are. And even if you just tell five people to tell five people to tell five people, you can make a difference. And 12 o'clock today, Sam Hugh is doing Neurodiversity Women and Girls um, for Neurodiversity Celebration Week. Particular interest for me, my little daughter. Um, so I'll be I'll be tuning into that one, but so there's still events going on, right? And Saturday and Sunday they've still got a few events going on over the weekend. Brilliant! So there we go. Continue through the weekend. Continue to share. Continue to like. Come and join us in that group. Thank you for staying extra few minutes. Thank you, Thank you very much, everybody. Thank big you. Big love to you all. Big love and respect. Thank you so much. Bye now.